0: The following pre-recorded program is paid for by SSI Guardian. Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Pegg. With your host, psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, Living Well with Dr. Pegg explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics. Brought to you by SSI Guardian. Living Well with Dr. Pegg shares effective and practical psychological strategies based on biblical principles for living well. To learn more about the show or Dr. Pegg's mental health consulting and publishing services, visit drpegradio.com. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Living Well with Dr. Pegg, brought to you every week by our sponsor, SSI Guardian, who set the new standard in advanced safety education. We're coming to you from Denver, Colorado, and streaming around the world on the Internet and from your smartphone radio apps, and I like to listen when I'm walking on the trail or at the gym. If you missed last week's episode or any episode of Living Well with Dr. Pegg, be sure to go to drpegradio.com. That's D-R. P-E-G, radio.com, for the program archives. And you can also visit DrPegRadio.com for information about the show, our sponsor, and my mental health, wellness, and safety consulting services, workshops, and books. And I have a Mental Health 101 workshop coming up on Saturday, October 29th, from 9 a.m. to noon. And go to my website to register. Again, that's DrPegRadio.com. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and according to the Colorado Coalition Against Domestic Violence, nearly one in four adult women is a victim of domestic violence in her lifetime, and on average, three women are killed by a current or former intimate partner each day in America. Now, those listeners who live in Colorado may be familiar with my guest's story, ...because she was featured in 5280 Magazine in 2013. But you may be wondering how she's doing today. And many of you, however, have never heard of Crystal Ryan. And perhaps this is the first time you will ever hear someone's firsthand account of domestic violence. To share her story of being the victim of domestic violence... ...and how she is now blessed beyond domestic violence is my guest, Crystal Ryan... Crystal Ryan, thank you for being with us today, and welcome to the program. Thank you, Dr. Pegg. I'm glad to be here. That's just a blessing, and um, we were introduced by uh, an acquaintance of mine, and I had been thinking about who I was going to have on the show because I knew it was Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and certainly that fits in with the theme and purpose and mission of my radio program. And I just, um, as God always does, he always brings my guests to me, right on time. And so we were introduced by email and and I googled you and that's how I found your 5280 article, which was so in-depth, so moving and inspiring. And so I'm so grateful that you were able and willing to be my guest today. Thank you. Now let's uh, jump right in and uh, talk about how you ended up even living in Colorado. I think most people who are not Colorado natives, they always have a story. I know I have a story about how I ended up in Colorado. What are the circumstances that led you to leave your home in Houston, Texas, and come to, to Denver? Um, well, I have been
2: a victim of domestic violence for several, several years. And I have been researching. And at the time, my daughter was eight years old. And I said, if we could go anywhere in the world to get away from this situation, where would we go? And she goes, Denver, Colorado. I'm like... <laughs> Colorado, it's cold there. So um, I set my mind on Colorado and I saved up the money and brought three one-way bus
1: tickets to Denver. Wow. And and did, did, have you ever talked to her about where that came from? How did she get Denver in her head? I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it was the Holy Spirit. Maybe, yes. uh, maybe the Lord... Uh, Brought you all here. So tell me uh, a little bit more about about your story of uh, domestic
2: abuse. Um, Domestic abuse started when I was young. Mm. Um, I saw it growing up and it became a natural part of my life because when I was growing Mm -hmm. up, what happens in your home stays in your home. Mm -hmm. Um, I was married very young to my first husband and he was um, a military personnel. And I was going through domestic violence with him and he had PTSD, alcoholism, but I never wanted to be that statistic. I mm-hmm. never wanted to be the single mother. I never wanted to be divorced. I wanted to have a happy family for my children. Um, one time it took for him to, to choke me and almost in my life and I prayed. I said, God, please get his hands off my throat. And I grabbed my children at that time who were three and five. Mm-hmm. And I left mm-hmm. and some, sometimes we have what we consider a type, you know, I need this type of man. I need so I had a type that I always went after and my second relationship, it was awesome. Um, for the first couple of years, as we call it, the honeymoon phase mm-hmm. and it started to progress. The signs were actually there from the beginning, but I thought it was cute at that time. He loves me. He's just overprotective and the hits would, you know, it got more bolder. He would do it in front of our friends and our family, in front of my children, because my children were his stepchildren. Mm-hmm. So my children, though, they were never affected. He never hit my children, but he took his anger out on me. And there mm-hmm. again, I was in with someone who had an alcoholism and very controlling.
1: Mm-hmm. And so you're pointing out, what we might call risk factors for Mm -hmm. someone to become a victim of domestic abuse that you saw it growing up, and that made it normal in your eyes. That was just kind of how people lived. Exactly. And that that can be a risk factor. Um, You also mentioned um, PTSD and alcoholism in terms of a risk factor for him Mm -hmm. to end up becoming violent. Exactly. Yeah, and that there were warning signs there Along were. the way, you said, um, he was overprotective and that kind of seemed nice <laughs> or cute at first. Say more about that. Um, you know, where what time are you going to work? What time
2: are you getting off? Mm-hmm. Who are you with? Um, why did you take an extra hour coming home from work? The grocery store only takes this long mm-hmm. to get, you know. So were you wearing that too? Why do you have that uniform on today? He became possessive of how I wore my hair, mm-hmm. how I didn't wear makeup until it became necessary. Um, we would go out, and it would just be I had to stand right there with him. Mm-hmm. Or If I went to the restroom and someone spoke to me, I paid for it mm-hmm. once we got home.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. Well, we also have on the phone today Natalie Hicks, who's an advocate for Safe House Denver and former Director of Shelter Services. Natalie Hicks, thank you for being with us.
4: Thanks for having me. Good morning.
1: Good morning, and uh, actually afternoon. (laughs) And um, Crystal is sharing her story, and um, I suspect even though it's her story and her specific uh, relationship and her specific um, circumstances, is what she's describing unique, or is this is this uh, rare, what she's describing?
4: It's not, and I think, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that one in four women will experience violence in their life, and it's very common, and each individual situation is unique, but describing jealousy, possessiveness, controlling, those are all very common things and common themes in domestic violence, so it's mm-hmm. something we hear a lot about in the work that we do.
1: hmm. And a lot of people listen to my program while they're driving in the car with their families, and they may even mm-hmm. have young children in the car with them or teenage children in the car with them. And I, I thought about, you know, giving the disclaimer or warning at the beginning of the show, because we might get into some unpleasant and painful details. But isn't it? good for young people to be aware of some of these signs early on so that, because this doesn't just happen in marriages, does it? it? It can happen in dating relationships as well.
4: That's correct. And we, it is important for families to have this information and open up a dialogue with their children and teen dating violence is, is just as prevalent as in adult relationships. We serve, on our crisis line, for example, we served over 16,000 people Mm -hmm. calling for information, and that ranges from teens to adults and folks seeking out our shelter. We served 70 children in our shelter, and so this is something that's happening to children as well. And so it it is hard to have these conversations, but it's important for families to be talking about this. Mm
1: -hmm. And, Crystal, you said something um, about your... um Second husband that your children were his stepchildren, and so mm-hmm. he didn't physically harm them. If I'm understanding you correctly, he correct. didn't touch them, but um, it's it's true that being in that home has a has an impact because that's what happened to you growing up as well. That's correct. Um, mental and emotional abuse
2: is just just as bad, mm-hmm. you know. My my youngest daughter is 18 now. My son is 21. And seven years later, we still talk about the effects. You know, my mm-hmm. daughter is very clingy, very protective of me. Um, my son, sometimes distant
1: mm-hmm.
2: because of the effects, because he would, my son would shut himself in his room to stay away. My daughter would pull closer to mm-hmm. me. So even as young adults now in their lives, they still have some of the, the trauma left over from that mm-hmm. situation, even mm-hmm. though it wasn't physical, but mental and emotional. Scars last forever, sure, too. Sure,
1: sure. And just the dynamic in the, in the household, the way he was controlling with you before actually even physically harming you, there was uh, that mental, emotional abuse and control that affects the whole household, doesn't it? That's
2: correct, even mm-hmm. down to the pets. Oh, wow. Say yeah. more about that. Um, we had two pets, mm-hmm. um, Wags and Yayo. Wags mm-hmm. was my son's dog that would cling to my dog. But you would see the fear and trembling mm-hmm. in the in the pets, when he would come through the door or when the yelling would and, you know, they would cower away or they would get their defense to protect us. Mm -hmm. So it even it even affected our pets. Wow.
1: Wow. Well, um, talk a little bit about uh, what's called the cycle of abuse. And and Natalie, I'll ask you to jump in as well when um, Crystal is finished with how it looked for her personally. Uh, But can you can you talk about that cycle of abuse, kind of explain that? Um, to our listeners um, and provide examples of, of that pattern in your in your life. Um, the cycle
2: of abuse. Um, when I was a young child and watching the abuse, I also told my children, don't tell anyone what's going on in our home. Mm-hmm. what happens stays here. Um, trying to cover up for my abuser became a daily cycle. It became a pattern every day. I lived in a fairy tale land. There was Crystal's world and the real world. And so my cycle was, no, as my mom would say, no, he loves me. And I began to tell myself, oh, it's love. So it became more prevalent that I was going to mask this and hide it for him. And that was both relationships. And I saw myself beginning to live through the exact same, the alcohol. It's okay. I'm going to cover up for that. And that my, my cycle also began with having that type Mm -hmm. of man. So Mm -hmm. the type
1: that is very, um, attentive initially, is that what you mean? Very
2: attentive, Mm -hmm. um, shows a lot, a lot of attention, you know, focuses on me, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to have that attention because I missed that as a child.
1: Mm-hmm. So looking at that big picture and, and generationally how that cycle perpetuates itself in terms of keeping things a secret, uh, covering up, trying to make things look better or normal, uh, more uh, more normal than they actually are is part of what can perpetuate it even generationally.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: And And Natalie, can you talk a little bit also about, um, the cycle of abuse in terms of in any given relationship. Um, uh, the little bit of reading I've done on domestic violence um, as a graduate student, we all, you know, are assigned a chapter in a book or an article, and that's kind of the extent of my background and training. But I remember something known as um, the honeymoon phase, uh, which you could say probably is how it starts because you have that type that's very attentive. So that's kind of the honeymoon phase that every newlywed experiences or person in a new relationship. But, Natalie, can you talk more from a clinical point of view about that cycle of abuse and the escalation and um, Mm -hmm. kind of how that just repeats itself over and over?
4: Sure. And each situation is unique, each relationship is unique, but what we hear and what we understand is there's this period of, building, so building up, escalating. A lot of people describe it as walking on eggshells. Mm -hmm. And then there's an incident of abuse, and that abuse has all types of forms, whether it be physical, sexual, emotional, verbal. And then there's what people would describe as the honeymoon phase. Um, And some survivors will share there's never really a honeymoon, but it's an attempt on the abuser to control and keep that person in the relationship. And so that may look like being especially attentive after an abusive incident, even taking care of physical wounds after a a physical violent incident. Or it may be being more scary and more controlling in an effort to keep that person in the relationship. And then going back to walking on eggshells, the escalation building. And so that tends to repeat itself. It looks different in every relationship, but there's some patterns that we see and that people describe for us when there's domestic violence going on.
1: I see you uh, nodding, Crystal, while Natalie is talking. Say say more about what you're remembering or feeling as she's describing that. The honeymoon phase, it usually happens after
2: every incident. Um, I love you. I won't do it again. I didn't mean to hurt you or you made me do it. And wanting to... Be loved, wanting to make your relationship work. Usually I would say, okay, you know, I know you love me. I know you did. I made excuses until the next incident, just like Natalie said, then it becomes the escalation again. It's building up and you know, it's about to happen again. And you get used to the situation, Mm. you know, you're going to go through this battle tonight, tomorrow, he's going to love you.
1: Mm. And that's kind of what keeps you hooked into it, Mm -hmm. is that that need for love that we all have. God created us to love and be loved, first and foremost, most importantly, by him. And as we're seeking to fulfill that with anything other than God, it often leads to all kinds of problems in our lives. Um, What kind of effect did that have on you to have your abuser say, you made me do that? How does that affect your spirit? How does that affect your self-esteem? It took me back to childhood
2: where I was always the blame. I was a victim of child molestation at younger. So it really broke my self-esteem down. I'm like, am I ever going to be worthy? And my faith is rooted in God. I love God without him. I wouldn't be here today, Mm -hmm. but my self-esteem was so low because I didn't think I was worthy. Mm -hmm. And I kept questioning myself, what did I do? do, Oh, I said something or I looked the wrong way. My hair isn't right. So I always made a justification for his, you made me do it. Mm
1: -hmm. And and does that play out um, today as an adult? And do you find that you are more controlling of your environment when possible? It's not an uncommon outcome of someone who felt out of control and felt victimized or helpless that when as they become adults they kind of make this vow i'll never be in that position again does any of that resonate with you it does
2: um it has had a very long impact on me um i've found it hard to date Mm -hmm. i've um, found myself um questioning my my inner beauty my love for god i found myself just saying i I don't want to be in that situation again. Mm -hmm. And, but I put my faith in God. I'm like, you know what, God, I know you didn't bring me this far to leave me. I know I have a purpose. So now seven years later, Mm -hmm. I'm living life. I'm loving life. And I will not be in that situation again.
1: Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord. And I stand in agreement with you. Uh, I read in your 5280 article about some of the things that you did to try to what psychologists would call self-medicate. Mm-hmm. That you're in so much pain physically mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. emotionally, and you're kind of describing that self-talk and that inner dialogue um, that just really kind of um, uh, kind of seals the deal of am I am I worth am I worth anything am I am I beautiful am I lovable. Um, what kinds of things or how did you quote unquote self-medicate? How did you cope in in the depth of the pain and despair you experienced?
2: Um, I became addicted to drugs. My 29th birthday, um, my then husband, my birthday gift was cocaine. Mm. I had never done drugs in my life. Um, I began to use cocaine. I began to use ecstasy pills and muscle relaxers. Um, I think they were calling them handlebars. Sometimes I didn't even know what I was taking, but my go-to drug was, um, cocaine. And, um, it became a pacifier in mm-hmm. our relationship mm-hmm. because if we were high, he loved me. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't argue with me. He didn't fight me. So I would say, okay, I'll stop and make, connections with the drug dealer on the way home. And when I walked through the door, even if he was angry and I'm like, oh, look what I have for us, it would all go away for that. However many hours we were high.
1: Wow. And how long did did that last?
2: Um, Four and a half years. Mm.
1: And how did that affect your your life, your ability to function as a mother, as I assume you held a job? It broke me down.
2: Mm. As a mother... um, I can remember almost losing my children Mm -hmm. um, because he had fought me one night and I went to the grocery store and I passed out in a grocery store. But before I left, I had told my children to go to the neighbor's house and stay with her. Didn't know I was going to wind up in the hospital. Mm -hmm. My children slept on her front porch all that night in Houston. I didn't know until the next day. And, um... About three days later, Child Protective Services, I was standing on the porch and a CPS worker walks up and she goes, I'm looking for Crystal Ryan. I'm like, oh, that's me. Um, When she announced she was from CPS, I immediately knew what it was about. Um, My children and I have such a close bond. I just gave them a look. Mm -hmm. And my children backed every single word I said. Because they didn't want to get taken away. Mm Um, that was my wake up call. My job, um, I was a certified nursing assistant, um, um, med qualified, everything, working in the hospital had been doing that since the age of 15. And one particular day I was supposed to be in the room feeding a patient who couldn't feed herself, um, bed bound. Her lunch was sitting in front of her and I was passed out in the chair. Mm -hmm. I had been up for three days, high on drugs, but I was still trying to keep my job because someone had to work. And when my supervisor walked in and I looked at her, I didn't have any explanation. They let me work my shift. I completed, but then it all started to come out. I always had a sinus infection. So they thought, Mm. so things started to come together. They started to piece together. Um, They did a drug test on me and. Of course, I was fired, but my heart broke for that lady that I was supposed to be taking care of her family and entrusted her mm-hmm. in my care.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I had never been fired from a from a job. I had lost plenty of jobs because he would come on my job and like, you you have to go. You're quitting right now. But I had managed to mask my drug abuse until that day. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. So that's when we hear that phrase, hitting rock bottom. Uh, so, so kind of two things going on here. We're talking about domestic violence, and but in in the course of your story, there's also another area of bondage, and and we'll talk about um, your blessed beyond domestic violence is the name of today's program. And so, um, you had other struggles other than than. The only domestic violence, overcoming yes. addiction, Correct. and that's pretty pretty heavy. Uh, Natalie, is, is that something that is um, common for uh, domestic violence to be kind of intertwined with addiction? Um, Crystal mentioned that her ex-husband uh, was an alcoholic and then on top of that now um, basically introduced her to drugs. Is that something that you see commonly? Uh,
4: yes so i think you know crystal shares one situation where addiction or drugs are introduced to a survivor by their abuser and that can lead to addiction sometimes women are coming into a relationship and have addiction issues which is manipulated by the abuser mm-hmm. and so um it, it's not uncommon to see i think substance abuse is a problem in general yeah. for, for our culture and our communities.
1: Absolutely, and
4: then Domestic violence also is very prevalent, so the two often are seen together. Um, together. And so survivors often do need help healing long term from the emotional abuse and then addiction issues themselves. And we, you know, serve over 1,300 people in our counseling center. Yes, and here. Natalie,
1: let me let yeah. me interject here. We're going to go to a break and mm-hmm. hear from our sponsor, SSI Guardian. And when we come back, the question that's on everyone's mind: Why didn't Crystal leaf? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Living Well with Dr. Peg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark with Crystal Ryan and Natalie Hicks. Stay with us.
5: One needs to look no further than today's headlines to understand the threats facing American schools. They remain soft targets for violent threats, and yet our schools go largely underprepared. Our children deserve the highest level of education in the safest learning environment possible. The SSI Guardian QAL, or Quick Action Lockdown, is the fastest and safest way to lock down a classroom. This revolutionary device provides schools with maximum locking protection while meeting all safety, fire, and building codes. Designed by the leading lock experts in the world, the QAL is the only lock that meets Department of Homeland Security primer recommendations, SSI Guardian QAL, now makes classroom lockdowns fast and safe with the red button. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the best classroom protection. Take action today by calling SSI Guardian at 877-878-5800 or go to GuardianProtect.com. That's GuardianProtect.com.
0: With SRN News, I'm Ron DeRockstrup. Hillary Clinton's campaign hitting back against Donald Trump's assertion the White House race is shaping up as a rigged election. Trump posted tweets saying false and unsubstantiated charges and outright lies are being pushed by the media as part of a scheme to help Clinton, help elect Clinton as president. Meanwhile, Trump has suggested Clinton might be, uh, might have been on some kind of performance enhancing drug during their last debate. and says both candidates should be drug tested before Wednesday's last debate in Las Vegas. A federal judge has canceled a hearing set for Monday on a lawsuit filed by the Florida Democratic Party that says thousands of mail-in ballots are rejected each election because signatures on the envelope and registration don't match. U.S. District Judge Mark Walker accused Florida's top election official of trying to run out the clock so there wouldn't be enough time to address the problems raised in the lawsuit. This is SRN News.
3: Renting in Denver? Denver rents have consistently gone up in '14, '15, and through today. Can you imagine how high your rents will be next year? You already know this, but you've struggled to save $10,000, $20,000 or more in down payment to buy your own home. I'm Brian Murphy, owner of Front Range Mortgage, and I may have your ticket out of renting and into a home of your own. We are proud to announce our new 1% down payment purchase program that can get you out of your landlord's pocket and into your own home. 1% 1% down payment equals $3,000 to get you into a $300,000 home. That's $3,000 to own your own home. Call me and my local Colorado only team for a painless five minute conversation to see how quickly we can get you into your own home with a mere 1% down payment. Our number, 303 500 1900. That's 303 500 1900. Or visit FrontRangeMortgage.com. And MLS 378844, regulated by the Division of Real Estate.
0: Can you spot an erroneous Bible quote? Money is the root of all evil. That's Chuck Swindoll with a preview of this week's Bible quiz from Insight for Living and our station. Want to try your hand at spotting false quotes? Then log on to our station website and use the keyword quiz. When you log in, you'll also get a sneak peek at a chapter of Chuck's new book, Searching the Scriptures. Take the quiz and enjoy the free chapter.
5: Go to krks.com for complete details. You've chased the sun across the sky and searched among the trees, rivers, mountains high, and faced most dangerous beasts. On and on you hunt. There's no time for stalling. Your appetite you must confront for something wild's calling.
3: Wild Game Fast. Every
5: night, for a limited time, only at Rodizio Grill. The Brazilian Steakhouse. 18th and Wine Coop. Parking validation available.
0: To learn more about living well with Dr. Pegg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark.
1: Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Crystal Ryan, a survivor of domestic violence. And on the phone with us is Natalie Hicks, an advocate with Safe House. Denver. Thank you ladies for being on the show with me today. Thank you. And so Thank the you. question, Crystal, um, that everyone asks is, why didn't you leave? And I understand in your first marriage you did uh, mm-hmm. leave, um, and then here you ended up in, you said, the same type of man again, finding yourself in this cycle of abuse, knowing that it's affecting your children and even the pets. It affects the whole environment, Um What makes it so hard to leave?
2: Um, As it says in my my story in 5280, by the age of 15, I was a nomad. Uh, My grandmother raised me and she had passed away. Um, So I didn't want to be alone. Mm -hmm. I didn't have anywhere to go, really, because if I he knew where I was from, he knew where I lived. Um, So I didn't leave because I didn't have anyone. My own mother had come to visit us one time and he had attacked me and I said, I want to leave. I need to go. And she says, you're going to leave all of this. And she was talking about the material stuff, the house, the cars and all that. So I didn't leave because I didn't feel like I had anyone until I called Safe House Denver. Mm
1: -hmm. And and I think many people fail to recognize that, that because, again, on the surface, you did paint this picture of, this beautiful life. Everything was perfect. And so to, to think that someone like you wouldn't have somewhere else to go or resources to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also often, in some cases, the, the threat against a person's life, isn't there, Natalie? I, I shared in my introductory stats that, um, that uh, one in three wom- women is killed. Um, or, or, excuse me, three, uh, three women are killed by a current or former intimate partner each day is actually the statistic in America. So it's a very dangerous thing to leave if you even had somewhere to go and the resources to leave. Natalie, um, that's a factor, isn't it?
4: Correct. And we, we, the survivors we work with, we talk a lot about separation violence. So the reality is most folks are seriously injured or killed post-separation or around that time. And so that's something that's a risk for women and children leaving. And where do you go? Oftentimes domestic violence is really about isolation. And so if you 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 come in without resources into a relationship and then are further isolated, you're really, there's not a lot of safe places to go. And we often have to turn people away from our shelter. And so it's it's really important to... Know that women and children need support to be safe in leaving, um, because it is a dangerous time. Mm -hmm. And
1: And I'm sorry, Natalie. Go ahead.
4: I wanted to add. I think one thing I I talk a lot about with women on the crisis line and survivors on the crisis line is this idea that it's domestic violence. It's scary. It should be easier to leave. Is actually the opposite. It's harder to leave Mm -hmm. because of those, because of fear, because Mm -hmm. of isolation. And so it's really important for us as community members who are supporting survivors to understand that it's it's not easy to leave it's harder and they need support and help
1: Mm-hmm. and it's easy to be that armchair quarterback and say if that ever happened to me i'd never let mm-hmm. that happen to me i'd leave right. in a heartbeat uh, but i can tell you i have personal friends and acquaintances intelligent women um, educated women women with resources women who again on the surface in appearances seem like they've got it all together. Um they could never feel that way about themselves to have someone devalue or demean them. And yet um they they found themselves um, you know, uh stripped nude outside in the winter, locked out of their home. And so um it's easy to judge, but they're before but the grace of God. Yeah. It is. My ex would
2: also tell me he'll kill me if I if I ever left. Mm -hmm. And and when I decided that it's either going to be you or I first. And one night I was working and I was crushing pills for residents and I was putting them in my pocket. And my plan was to go home and put it in his in his Mm -hmm. dinner. And I'm like, you know, I can't do that. If I'm something happens to me, what are my children going to do?
1: Mm -hmm. So the desperation uh, Mm -hmm. that's not uncommon um, and, you know, I want to go back to that, that question of why why don't they leave, which a lot of people may be even a little self-righteous when they ask that question. But I, I think probably the better question to ask is why would your husband, who claimed to love you, um, harm you, Crystal? What are your thoughts about why abusers abuse or uh, abuse or this particular man? Why was he violent towards you? Um, I think it had to do
2: a lot with insecurities within himself. Um, he had some abandonment issues in the past. Um, I was actually wife number two. So he had a long history of violence. He, it, he just, just didn't target me. You know, he would target
1: family members. He was a violent person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Across the board. Yes. Yeah. And, Natalie, what are your insights um, in your role working as an advocate? Um, and do you ever have the opportunity to work with the abusers? And have you ever seen – I'm asking a lot of questions. One, <laughs> what, what are, what's the research or insights behind why abusers abuse? And have you ever seen someone think- turn their life around and, and um, be healed and whole and not, become, not be violent any longer?
4: Mm-hmm. Well, what we know about domestic violence is the root of the behavior for an abuser is control. Mm-hmm. And so each individual, the reasons why they're controlling may vary. Some folks, they it's what you learn. So the example they, they got in a relationship of what it means to be a man or somebody in power a relationship is that you're controlling your abusive. Um, Crystal mentioned abandonment. So I, I think we're careful that all these things can happen. People can be abandoned. They can grow up in a house where there's abuse and choose not to be abusive towards their partner. So ultimately, it's a choice, and mm-hmm. they're making it out of the desire for control. Yes. And, uh, you know, I think I, I do this work because I am hopeful that there can be justice in the world and that the world can be a place that's safe for everyone. And so I, I'm often asked, can can an abuser change? And, Anybody can change, of course, but it's about unlearning a a deeply held belief about yourself that you're entitled to be abusive, and so it's a difficult process. And um, have I seen it personally? No, but that doesn't mean it hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. I think we don't often have the opportunity to work with abusers because people are coming to us to be away from that person to be safe, and so we're oftentimes supporting them in that process. Um, there are programs that uh, do support batterers, and so there's a very specific process batter intervention program. So it's different than counseling in general, where tell me how you feel. It's more about unlearning that sense of entitlement that you are you're entitled to control in your relationship. Mm-hmm. So, of course, people can change, and it's it's a process of like I said, unlearning that behavior, and it's it's difficult because. We oftentimes, and I appreciate what you said, we oftentimes are supporting abusers more than we know. When we say things like, "Why doesn't she just leave?" or "He'll get better if he stops drinking," we're unintentionally supporting abusers. And so there's not a lot of motivation to change.
1: Mm-hmm. And
4: so we, as a community need to hold abusers accountable for their behavior.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're raising a couple of good issues and and um, Crystal is suggesting, you know some personal, abandonment issues, personal childhood wounds. But you make the excellent point that lots of men grow up in those environments and they never lay a hand to another person. Mm -hmm. And so it's not only their personal history or personal wounds. uh, It's also, I think, as you said, a personal choice that is often supported by our culture and our society, uh, male privilege a, a violent culture that we live in uh, the subtle language as you said even asking the question and i I was intentionally provocative the question everyone wants to know why didn't you leave but that's blaming the victim right uh, mm-hmm. instead of saying why is he raising his hand to you uh, and and having just as much indignation and outrage about that as as we often um, show towards victims of abuse
4: mm-hmm and the reality is abu- victims are leaving mm-hmm.
1: they're leaving all the time Christ
4: and the Lord. they're they're not being protected they're not being supported and it's not safe to be away and so returning sometimes is the safer choice even though it doesn't look that way to us
1: mm-hmm.
4: and so and there's barriers to leaving there's fear lack of resources lack of support and so the question itself is one not even accurate uh, survivors are leaving victims are leaving and then it's uh, like it's supporting abusers by asking that
1: question Mm -hmm. and crystal you you left many times i Um, did yeah and um and so rather than being judgmental about why did you go back it really is um understanding the courage it took to leave the times that you did and having understanding and compassion for the 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 dynamics of why you would go back. Some internal of feeling, um, you know, this man does love me. I wanna be loved. He is good to me some of the time. Exactly. Where else would I go if I didn't go back? Uh and just the
2: fear for your life. Correct. And my Mm -hmm. children, I just didn't want to drag them around and just be a nomad like Mm -hmm. as I was so.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And so, along the way, uh, you tried to ask for help, uh, and let your mom know what was happening with you. Um, who else did you talk to about it? And, um, did you try to ask for help or t- tell anyone else what was going on with you?
2: Um, I told a few coworkers. Um, I spoke to my ex-mother-in-law. Um, I spoke to some people at church.
1: Mm hmm.
2: That was my but he had ostracized me from the church as well. I wasn't able to do the things I loved at church, sing in a choir or anything. And um when I reached out to my pastor, who was also his mother's pastor, you know, I was afraid that it would get back, that I was trying mm-hmm. to seek help and trying to leave. But they encouraged me to stay, and try to work it out. But he wouldn't get the counseling through the church that I was seeking. So
1: mm-hmm. and unfortunately, sometimes um Church leaders who are tasked with doing counseling mm-hmm. are not always well equipped. Right. And just as I said in in graduate school, I wasn't taught much about domestic violence and I am a trained counselor. And so when we think of um, pastors working with couples and, and, and victims and may not have the, the uh, be adequately equipped, it can yeah. lead to bad results. Uh, You're listening to Living Well with Dr. Pegg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. And when we come back, we'll learn how Crystal is doing now and your children. Um, Here's a quick word from our sponsor, SSI Guardian. Stay with us.
5: can no longer afford not to invest in a professional evidence-based advanced safety education training program. It's the single most important decision and investment a school administrator will ever make in their professional career. When all else fails, training and preparation are the only things that will increase your chances of survival in a violent incident such as an active shooter or active terrorism. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based advanced training programs tailored to your needs. While there are many basic training programs largely based on opinion and emotion, SSI guardian is the only advanced training program of its type with an accredited continuing education unit or ceu issued by an accredited university ssi guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based advanced training and solutions to learning institutions faith-based and professional organizations to learn more call ssi guardian today at 877-878-5800 or visit guardianprotect.com
0: To learn more about living well with Dr. Pegg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark.
1: Welcome back, Crystal Ryan and Natalie Hicks. And, uh, Crystal, before the break, I asked you, how are you doing now?
2: I am beyond blessed. Okay, man. <laughs> Say more about that. I am my children... Have grown up. Uh, my son is now has his own family, and I'm a grandmother. And mm-hmm. my daughter's doing wonderful in school. I'm loving life. I'm I am beyond blessed. Amen. I am excited about life.
1: Amen. And so, what would you attribute uh, to that victory, to that ability to to blossom and and truly feel blessed we're all blessed but to feel blessed uh what do you attribute that to
2: um first i have to attribute it to safe house denver my counselor that um worked with me because that morning that i woke up in the shelter um, i remember telling her i'd rather be beat than stay here in this house with all these people and you know she said okay i can help you get back home but let's Mm -hmm. do this first so that's my first if had it not been for my counselor And my second is my faith and my church family. I have great mentors and I have great people that hold my hand now. And my faith has been restored because Mm -hmm. I know the mission that God has placed inside of me. And I know that now there is
1: life after domestic Mm -hmm. violence. Amen. And there may be people listening right now, Mm -hmm. um, whether they're driving in their car or sitting at home or, uh, at the gym, listening on their smartphone as I do, uh, who are saying, "Oh my God, Crystal is me." Um, what What would you tell them? Uh, someone who's being abused right now or feels trapped. The first step is
2: the hardest. The first step in realizing that I have to do this. Once you make that first step and reach out to the resources. It's a hard. It's it's a struggle. It is hard. I won't say that it was easy, but you have to make that step and get with a mentor, you know, share, share with someone what you're going through, because it could be you and your coworker that sits next to you. It could be your your pastor's wife. It can be anyone in that same situation. So taking that first step and realizing that you have worth, you are worth more than someone putting their hands on you. Love doesn't hurt. Love Amen. should not hurt or leave a scar.
1: Amen. Amen. And if we could raise our children with that awareness, mm-hmm. um, you know, you grew up in a, an abusive home. You yourself were molested at a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, the very thing you didn't want to have for your children ended Correct. up happening. What can you tell parents and mothers in particular um to equip their children to, number one, not become an abuser. Mm -hmm. Um, Mothers can share with their sons. Fathers can share with their sons. And how do we equip our daughters? And I'm saying those gender roles because statistically speaking, it's more likely to be a, a woman who's the victim of violence. What can you tell parents to encourage them with their children when they're still young? I have a son and a daughter. Mm -hmm. So right now my
2: daughter's in the dating phase. Mm -hmm. So my first thing that I told her is know your worth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I hear people's kids say, I want to be like my mom. I tell my daughter, I want you to be better than I am. I want you to know that you're worth more. Um, For my son, I had to reiterate to him that if you feel like you have to put your hands on someone, then you don't need to be with them. Remove yourself from that situation. And I told them both, no, it's never okay. It's not okay for you to accept it, and it's not okay for you to do it. And I also had to tell my son, men are victims as well. Mm -hmm. I've met so many male victims and made friends that were abused as well. So, you know, it's just not Mm one-sided. You know, we often don't hear about the men that get abused We mostly hear women and and children that are in the situation, but men can be abused,
1: too. Mm -hmm, Absolutely, and thank you for bringing that out. As much as you, as a woman, tried to cover it up and keep it a secret. It's harder uh, for a male. probably even more so because of the cultural norms. It's Mm -hmm. harder for for males. And Natalie, can you give us some insight uh, on that as well and, and resources that are available to adult victims, male and female, as well as children?
4: Yeah, what we know is it's, once again, domestic violence is really about isolation. I mean, it's control, but isolation is a big theme, and so it can be hard to reach out. And then for most individuals who experience abuse, there's uh, this idea that it's my fault I'm doing something wrong because they're being told that, and so there's a lot of shame, and that's a barrier to reaching out. What's available locally, so Safe House Denver, we provide uh, services to victims of domestic violence, and we like to think of our services as the four corners of a house. So we have our crisis line, which is available for information and resources and support, and that number is 303-318-9989. Then we have our counseling and advocacy center, which is available for in-person, one-on-one counseling and also group support for all victims of domestic violence, so it's a place for people to go who are currently in a relationship where there's domestic violence or have been in the past and are looking to heal from that experience. We have our emergency shelter, which is for women and women with children to stay who are not safe, um, whether it's they're not safe in their home or they're in their own home, but the abuser perhaps is stalking them and they're not safe. They need to be somewhere where nobody knows where they are. And then our other corner of that house is community education. So doing things like you know, being on your show and, and having a platform to share about what is domestic violence, why is this happening, what are the resources that victims need. And also, folks can access services. We're proud to be a partner of the Rose Andam Center in Denver, which just opened up, and we have advocates on site that's available for folks to go in and, and access our services that way. And there's other services that are available at Rose Andam to access, uh, whether it be civil services, protection order, or legal services, perhaps talking to a detective if people are interested in that. And so there, there are services in Denver, available for people for information support. And we we want people to have information
1: mm-hmm. and
4: that's our goal. So they can decide what's best for them and their families.
1: Mm-hmm. And are there services available for for men as Crystal brought up that uh, there are men out there who are victims?
4: Absolutely. I, I think what we recognize is that because domestic violence is ultimately at the root is about control, anybody's capable of choosing to want to be controlling in the relationship. And our experience is, and statistically, yes, it's a more gendered issue where a woman will be the victim, a male will be the uh, abuser, but we're not attached to that. We're attached to people having support, and so Safe House Denver serves all victims. Currently, just historically, Safe Houses were open serving women and children, so we're, we're not able to serve men in our shelter currently, but our program in general is about supporting all victims, and you'll find that across Colorado. Mm-hmm. So there's domestic violence programs in other counties. And you'll find that nationwide, that we understand as a movement to help victims that this is really about control, and anybody can be controlled, and anybody deserves, everybody deserves support
1: to be Right, safe. right. Thank you for sharing that information, um, Crystal. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about. Not only how well you're doing, but what you're doing now to draw from your experience to help others. And being a guest on my program today is part of that. And so I'm grateful to you and and thank you for your transparency and sharing and being an example that there is help, there is hope, and you can be blessed beyond domestic violence. Um, Yes. Um, So what I'm doing now
2: is I share my story still with um, young adults. Mm Mm-hmm. I share my story with anyone I come in contact with. Um, so now my mission is now that my story is out, I want people to realize that there is life after domestic violence. Things that I couldn't do as simple as going to the grocery store alone or taking a walk. I am able to do that now. So I want to help others realize that there's life after domestic violence. So I'm excited to be having my very first workshop and luncheon. Amen. Um, and I choose October 20s. It's um, Saturday, October 22nd um, from 930 a.m. to 1 p.m. And it's going to be at the New Hope Baptist Church. And that's located at 3701 Colorado Boulevard in Denver. And we will be I will be having four panel guests as well as myself. And we will talk about life after domestic violence. And it's, it's exciting. It's such an exciting time mm-hmm. because I've seen myself over the seven years. It will be seven years on October 25th wow. for me. So last year's event was called the face behind the mask. Mm-hmm. So I took the mask off mm-hmm. and now I'm living a prosperous life. I am happier than I've ever been. Amen. So
1: Christ the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yeah. October is a good month for me as well. A lot of wonderful things have happened in October for me. My twins were born in October. I moved to Colorado in October of 2000 and I got married in October. And so it's just a, it's a a month that promises um, great blessings. Is there, is there a cost for your workshop? This is actually, there's no cost for this
2: workshop, but we will be introducing the Beyond Bless Escape Fund Mm -hmm. and we will also be, um, introducing talking about our adopt a family for the holidays, because that was a big thing for me. I didn't know how I was going to rebuild our lives. Mm -hmm. So I am every year beyond bless. will select a family and we will bless that family for the holidays. Mm -hmm. And the escape fund is because I found that when I was trying to escape funds were not readily available. Mm -hmm. So my, my hope is if someone calls and say, I can't leave because no matter where they want to go, in the united states we want to be able to say we have funding for you and your children
1: amen amen well thank you so much uh crystal ryan i'll put that information on my website and so you can go to drpegradio.com to learn more about life beyond domestic violence with crystal ryan crystal ryan and natalie hicks thank you so much to both of you for being my guest today thank you thank you And listeners, I have my Mental Health 101 workshop coming up on Saturday, October 29th from 9 to noon. Go to my website to register, drpegradio.com. That's D-R-P-E-G, radio.com. I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark reminding you to live well.
0: Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Living Well with Dr. Pegg. Living Well with Dr. Peg is brought to you by SSI Guardian, who has set the new standard in advanced safety education. If you'd like to learn more about the show, our sponsor, or mental health consulting and publishing services, visit www.drpegradio.com. Remember to join us every Saturday at 1 p.m. on 94.7 KRKS-FM for Living Well with Dr. Pegg.